Hey, Broadway people, we are back for another week of Broadway Breakdown here on Popcorn Talk Network. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but don't worry, we still got a lot of other stuff for you. We're going to be talking The King and I, the now touring musical, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. It's just... Is this the Julie Andrews version? No, this is um, Kelly or Harry. Oh, okay. I, uh, I it's always up hard to tell from a, version, from a couple of notes. My mom know? had like one of those uh, CDs that had multiple different oh. plays on it. I think the Julie Andrews version, or maybe maybe she was just doing the sound of music on there, but I just remember some Julie Andrews. Yeah. But that's where I like my first taste of King and I was that CD and just the couple of songs that were from it on that. Nice. Thanks to you guys who are joining us live instead of watching the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, the Super Bowl will be there still when we're done. For another, it, like, it will be two there. And, two it or will three be hours. There. Or as I like to call it, the Lady Gaga concert. <laughs> Hamilton will be at the halftime show. Oh, yeah, that's too. right. That's right. Yeah, so still, so, see, Broadway's making its way into right? the Right, exactly. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We are talking, like I said, The King and I, the musical um, that recently just came through Los Angeles, and Jackie got to see it. I, You know what's interesting is, as a kid, I saw the movie, which, uh, the one with, you know, Yul Brenner and um, What's Her Bucket. We'll talk about it next <laughs> Next week. Um, and I'll remember her name. I'm like looking through my notes and I can't remember it. It's because you'll. It's because uh, the actress from the original Broadway cast died before they made the movie. Yeah. Um, and I, as a kid, the only song I remember is "Getting to Know You," and I wasn't too crazy about the movie except for the scenes where the teachers like interacting with the kids. Because as a kid, you're not really like understanding the greater politics of it, and you're not. There's a lot of like very adult relationship mm-hmm. issues and political issues that are happening. And so when you're a kid, you're like, oh, there's a teacher and she's teaching children. I mean, that's the most relatable thing to a kid. Yeah. And so I never wanted to watch it again because I was like, oh, this is. I just remembered it as like a boring political movie. And then yeah, uh, I remember like watching it as well and not being that into it and thinking it was really long. And then my mom was like, it's, yep. Sound of Music's just as long. Yep. And I'm like, but I could watch Sound of Music. And I think it's because of what you just said. Yeah. Like, I don't remember it fully. I'm going to watch it again before next week. And I think I might have a different take on it now that I'm older. Because in Sound of Music, also, the kids are more throughout the whole thing. Whereas the kids... Uh, they do have big roles, but they're not as big of roles as the kids in The Sound of Music. So mm-hmm. if you're a kid watching it, I think it's it's a little hard to understand. And then when I went and saw the touring cast with my mom, um, I loved it. I loved this cast. I, um, I thought everybody did a great performance. If you go see the touring cast, you are in for such a treat. They are actually, right now, they just left Seattle. I think they're, they're headed to Cleveland right now. So if you're in Ohio... Um, check it out. They'll, that's where they're going to be next. And you can look up on their website uh, to see where they're going to be headed, if they're going to be headed to your town. And on YouTube, they have they do have clips of um, the touring cast rehearsing, which um, will give you a taste of what they're doing. But honestly, they were all such strong players. And um, I liked Jose Lana, who, who plays the king in the touring cast, much better than Yul Brynner. And he's actually... Um, Asian. Asian. <laughs> so there's that. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about where this came from. So this is based on a true story um, about these two people, Anna uh, Lee Owens and the King of Siam. 
uh, it was written into a book by Margaret Landon in 1944, which is what they based the musical off of. They based it off of the book. Um, which they, was based off of Anna's original, original like, writings. Yes. Um, it was right from her memoir. She was the governess to the children uh, of the King Monkhout of Siam in the early 1960s through about 1968 was when she uh, left, which is one of the main things they changed. I in thought the it was play. 1868. Wasn't this, this 1860? Happened? I'm sorry, yeah. I, I typed 1960. Sorry, guys. <laughs> this is what happens when you're not thinking right, and typing right. really fast. 1860s. Um, and 1868 was when she left in the in, in real life. Um, she went to go back to London to visit her daughter. She was on a six month leave of absence. Um, and she was going to originally leave her son in Ireland at school and take her daughter back with her, which would have been opposite of what she did originally. And then he died. He got sick and died before, and she never went back, which is they changed it for the musical to have him die while she's there. Right. Which I think makes sense for the musical. But she did have uh, with his with his oldest son who became king. She did have a um, friendly writing correspondence mm-hmm. with him. So that kind of the, what you see in the end of the play, that allusion to um, her having uh, her having some sort of rapport with the son. It, it did happen in real life, just not in person. Mm hmm. Um, and the, the, I mean, the, the real story, it, it doesn't differ too much that I could find. If you found something different, let me know. But it seems to be kind of, you know, they brought this European um, woman in, the king did in real life, to kind of educate his children in Western ways because he wanted uh, them to adopt kind of these Western customs in some aspects because Europe was trying to dominate Asia. So it would help them. And he was able he was able to not be overtaken by the European cult countries because and I think that might have been a large portion of it because they understood them right well, I mean it's a smart it's a smart move on behalf of a king to say, well, I have to look out for the best of my people. What do I strategically have to do to protect my people mm-hmm. and so as much as like if I was the king, I wouldn't want to sacrifice my country's customs or beliefs or anything like that. There is a, <clears throat> excuse me, there is a concept of greater good for my people. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I do so that I can still retain my country? Yeah. And so he was very smart in doing it. The one thing that the play did was make him less, uh, I guess, intense, is what I read, because he was a lot more harsh ruler than they portray in the play. But, I mean, I think all rulers are kind of harsh to an extent, depending on whose perspective you're looking at it from, too. But I think it's also, like, when you... uh, Siam is Thailand, just so you guys know. Um, And so for any... I I feel like for any ruler of a smaller country, when you're in, in Europe and there are bigger countries, like... Russia and China and these like huge like huge landmass countries you do have to like stand up and be strong for your country to say to like make yourself heard and to make yourself mm-hmm. respected um but he something i noticed that was that i actually really liked about um and my mom pointed it out too because my mom grew up watching several iterations of the king and i and um Yul Brenner, there are these like funny moments um, where he says like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and like all these like little funny moments that they give him. But I, I think Yul Brenner still played that kind of like hard nosed ruler, whereas I think 
Jose Lana had a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of fun with it. And it um, and it really endeared him to the audience. And my mom mentioned that. She was like, you know what I loved about this guy who played this role is that he had so much more fun with it and he was able to... Um, to kind of find a lightheartedness in 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 what was a scary situation, like the you have the British people coming in and you know like trying to, um, I think it was trying to a- annex them essentially. Um, I didn't, I still don't really understand the the politics entirely, but um, to make you know to show the British people that they're um, civilized, so. Well, it he, says that it said that um, the European countries were trying to dominate the Asian countries, right? Kind of like I think what they did with South America. I think they were trying to do that with the Asian countries. Well, I mean, it, it wasn't clear to. It's still not entirely clear to me if in the play, and I'm only talking about in the play here. In the play, if what they mean by dominate is like is like literally like British colonization, which is something that the British people did and uh, did at that time, or if what they mean is more like what. Americans did um, to other countries, which is like try and install a leader that, or try and like uh, impose their way without necessarily like openly ousting that person, mm-hmm. but kind of like saying, okay, we put these pieces in place, so you do what we want you to do, you know. And yeah. uh, and it wasn't clear to me. Um, it's from watching the play if that if it's like you have the British people colonizing them or if it's, like, the British people are trying to, like, out-strategize him to basically, like, rule him in a way without actually ruling him. That makes sense. Um, But you still... So you're in this tense situation, which was basically the gist of that really long monologue that I just (laughs) had. You're in this really tense tense situation, but the actor in the touring cast, he had such... He had such a, like, a lighthearted tone and, and and such a... I guess like a warming, welcoming presence that you felt like you were totally behind him by the end, and then when you di- when he died, you're just like weeping, and that's not the same feeling I got from Yul Brenner. From Yul Brenner. I like the when actors are able to take over a role and kind of make it their own, even though it's been done so many times. Right, because it's so easy to just fall into what other people have already done because you already have it laid out for you. Right, I know exactly how to to do this because this is how the three previous actors did it. But when you can, like, take something and make it your own and do it well and have it succeed, is that's what acting is to me. Well, and and you have someone like Yul Brenner who had been associated with this role, like, in the original Broadway cast. Then he was in a movie. Um, he played it also in the 1977 revival on Broadway. That I didn't know either. And he well, won I don't an, think he started off, but he took over. Yeah, but he won an award for... He won an Academy Award for the movie. Um, Tony Award for the Tony Award play. for the for the original cast. And so you have this person that's already revered in this role. So then you have to go, you do, you have to go and like make it your own and put in your own like spin on it. And it, it obviously helps that I think the, the touring cast and the Broadway revival cast, they cast Asian actors in the roles. Some of the Broadway revival cast. Yeah. Well, some of them, this one had a lot, a a lot of Asian actors, the one at the Pantages. Um, It's funny because a lot of, I've heard people say, because they listen to the music, and if they don't know the show, um, and they just kind of hear about it, they say it sounds like an Asian version of Sound of Music because it's a governess coming in, and there's this hard 
father and then she like gets him to like love her and stuff and i'm like in a way it's similar but it's ob- but because sound music was so fictionalized in the fact that she wasn't a governess right and but this one is actually more closer, closer it's yeah cl- closer to the original story and it is still rogers and hammerstein so the music i could see you could think maybe sounded similar yeah and i i mean i did read somewhere that they tried in the music obviously they they don't have people speaking with Thai accents or anything Mm -hmm. like that but they tried to imitate speech patterns of people from that country Hammerstein I wrote it down here Um, Hammerstein developed uh, an abrupt epithetic way of talking which was free of articles so that way because many Asian East Asian languages don't have articles in them so that way it kind of made it sound more like the Thai way of speaking and um, Roger had experimented with Asian music um, before in this like short musical that he, it didn't run for very long called Chi Chi and he didn't want to use actual Thai music because he thought that the western audiences wouldn't like they wouldn't be able to like relate with it right. at all and it would force them to make it so differently that they wouldn't let them play Right. so he instead um, gave his music like uh, open fifths and chords as so that way, in, the chords were in unusual keys, so that way that it would be still pleasant to Western ears, but still give you that kind of Asian influence. Right. Which is it. also probably why they were they were casting white people at the time um, in those roles. Yeah. Which is, it, I mean, that's a problem. It's like you can't, to me, it's also hard looking back when you see, when you see the movie and you see the story being told by like white actors and you don't have you haven't you haven't taken any influence yeah from the asian culture asian culture yeah. um and i we actually have the show publicist for the tour how it was very nice and gave us some videos to play and so to kind of show you if you haven't seen the tour haven't seen the musical um kind of this what they did for the thai music uh we have this is puzzlement with the king and this is from the this is actual footage from the tour, so well so looks like our engineer's just getting that up. I actually love this tour cast better because I saw the uh, 2015 cast at the Tonys. I love this cast better. Sometimes I think that people not so bad. But no matter what I think, I must go on living life. As leader of my kingdom, I must go forth! Be father to my children, and husband to each wife, etc., etc., and so forth. If my Lord in heaven could have shown the way, every day I try to live another day. If my Lord in heaven could have shown the way, every day I do my best for one more day. You can kind of hear it in the back music, like the little changes and yeah. the like tones and everything. And I just love this guy. I mean, he there's a level of like empathy and kindness that you get from him. It's it's hard to explain. Like maybe you could see it when you were watching it. But, yeah. Um, there's a level of like relatability where you can you know, put yourself in his shoes. And that's how the best stories work, where, you know, even if it's not your culture and it's not your situation, you can start to see from that person's point of view. Perspective, yeah. And this was actually, speaking about the music, this was the fifth kind of grouping together of Rogers and Hammerstein. Uh, 
and it's funny because I don't even think of them as separate. You know, I know. Right? Like, <laughs> it, I I can't like it's it's weird to think that they did write before this because I don't think most of their shows beforehand got as huge as any of their shows together. Mm-hmm. They just worked really well together, right? And I'm happy they worked well together because they became so huge and developed Stephen Sondheim, who now is huge, right? Um, but uh, they originally had wanted Rex Harrison to play the role because he played it in the 1946 film that was based off the book that was the non-singing film yeah it was a non-musical version um and then they went with yul brenner because and they had a lot of and yul brenner is an original he's a russian he was a russian immigrant to the u.s and they said that well they said that they remembered him from this audition they said, this is the exact quote, they told us the name of the first man and out he came with a bald head and sat cross-legged on the stage. He had a guitar and he hit his guitar one whack and gave out an unearthly yell and sang some heathenish sort of thing. And Oscar and I looked at each other and said, well, that's that. That's it. So he impressed them enough from that one audition because they had gone through a bunch of actors before auditions that were like they wanted before, without even auditioning. And none of the people could have, it didn't work out with their schedules. And we should say that, though, this, the whole way that this musical came about was because Gertrude Lawrence, who was uh, the original Anna, her lawyer was looking for yeah. a popular vehicle to put her in to kind of put her back in the spotlight. Yeah, she'd, and she'd kind of fallen out of musicals. She'd done a lot of plays, but they wanted her back in musicals. And, they, and originally, the, um, the manager wanted Cole Porter, and he turned it down. And then they were going to go after another guy, um, but they ran into the wife of Hammerstein, Oscar Hammerstein. I just thought it was so interesting that here you have somebody like a lawyer who, and I know this because I work for entertainment lawyers, it's like they're so entrenched in the business side, like what, you know, like this kind of move where it's like, what can I get my client to get a lot of money so that therefore I get a lot of money? And you have a lawyer actually pushing something from the creative side so much that it creates this whole musical. Well, and uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein were kind of weary about taking the part because one, they thought it was going to be difficult to translate this book into a musical that worked. They were worried about the language barrier and with the Thai culture and stuff. They were worried about working with her. Yes. Because she apparently had a diva nature to her and a temperament. And she was getting older and her singing wasn't what it used to be. And they were kind of worried about writing for her. So it took, like, this play almost didn't happen, like, a thousand different times. And it's just kind of worked in a way that eventually it did. And I do think, I mean, it's, you see how many times that this play has been redone and maybe Alexis can chime in because she, she was in it in school and it's like, it's a very, it's a very popular play to put on, which is interesting to me that they found that this is like, you know, they, they were feeling that there was an obstacle and yeah. that it was going to be hard. And now it's become a very popular play. Well, and they've just come off of doing South Pacific, which is another play about a white person kind of coming into a different culture. So I think maybe they right. didn't want to be stuck in that kind of same story. Right. And they were afraid of getting stuck in that same story, which does happen. You just kind of write the same story a million times and then you realize all your work is one thing. Yes. Um, but yeah, going off what you said, because it wasn't until speaking a little bit of the Asian culture in this, it wasn't until 1996. That was the first 
tour that actually had all Asians and all the Asian character parts, which was remarkable at the time. And then it didn't stick because then um, I think Miss Saigon had they were trying they were trying to hire oh what's his name he was in Pirates of the Caribbean and Navita Jonathan Price Jonathan Price oh they were going to hire him in the lead role which is an Asian role yeah and it became this whole big thing and they he when he left they they just kind of continued with Asian performers which there's so many people like with we were talking about this beforehand but with Broadway and with national tours there's so many actors out there that you can't tell me you can't find a good yeah. Asian actor to play these roles. Yeah, because we were talking, We it was interesting, before we came in here, Brianna and I were talking about, you know, the difference between community theater and then something like this as a major Broadway vehicle, whereas community theater, you're literally stuck to the community you live in. So if you live in a, in a community that has mostly one type of person, like you're drawing from that pool, it's free, it's just free people in the neighborhood. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing a tour and you're going to offer people money, you have the ability to do this right. You have the ability to go out and say, okay, well, I have I have a, all these Asian roles open and, you know, this is a huge country. We got to be able to go out and find Asian actors. We could even find them outside the country, you know? And there is so many talented Asian performers out there that it's sad when they don't get the roles that they deserve to get, especially when it's something that should be cast Asian. Right. And then you have, I, I mean, we're starting to fall away from this um, notion that of the, I guess, like the one big Broadway star vehicle person, it still exists in, mm-hmm. in some ways. But, um, you know, back in like the Angela Lansbury days, you just kept casting the same person yeah. over and over and over. And they're now realizing people will still go to the shows. Right. Whether or not it's you know, Kristen Chenoweth in the role or someone that's new. Right. Because if you, like I, like we said earlier, if you make that role your own and you make it so that somebody who comes and sees it and says, oh my gosh, this is a great cast, like I did with the touring cast, I was like, everybody go see it. This is such a good cast. Or it's even the so Kinky good. Boots, when we saw Kinky Boots, like we were, you know, um, what's his face dropped off before he got to LA, but our guy I think was better. Our guy was really good. So, Todrick Hall was doing Kinky Boots at yeah, one point, he wasn't, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He yeah. went to. He was doing it in New York. But yeah, so it's like you you think in your head, like, I need to see the star, but sometimes the star is not the best person. I, like I told you in the Revival cast, I liked, when I watched the Revival cast at the Tony Awards, I liked, I liked the touring cast so much better. I liked them so much better. And maybe it was because I was personally moved from being in that room and um, especially the woman who played Tup Tim. Mm-hmm. her voice just filled the whole space and she had this I don't to me it was such a perfect voice and it, it really filled the space that you really felt for her in in her part of the story which is kind of the the B story in this whole thing that was actually I forgot to say but that was the reason that they said that he was portrayed more sympathetically is because in real life there was a whole torture and burning at the stake of her and her daughter right. that they kept out of the musical right which I think is smart but they I don't, did. I, don't I mean, think you need that intensity right. in this kind of musical. But they did. They all. They did want to create the the Tup Tim love story to show. I guess to actually have a love story because even though I think there was indication that there was some sort of like sexual tension between Anna and the actual. Well, king, they had a love for each other, but it was a love that they never could act upon. Right, and I. It's it's there. It's there in the Broadway musical as well, where you have you have to have those people have some sort of chemistry 
to be able to do that dance with me scene. When you have to form this kind of relatability of love to this man because it was a time period where it was polygamous and he had multiple wives. And right. it's very easy when you look at someone with multiple wives to think that he, that he doesn't have love for women, that he just cast them aside. So to show like that relatability that like, he does have love for women, it's not, they're not just objects to him like that. Right. You have to do that to get women, I think on board with the musical. Right. But you also can't, you also can't like recreate the story to have her come in and run off with him no. when he already has his own wives. It's like you and, don't want to have that person to run, and it would have destroyed everything if he had. Yeah, you have to still make it realistic, <laughs> right? You don't want to have that person come in and be like, "Okay, now I'm like just westernizing your culture and stealing your husband." You know, that's not a good story. It's not a good look. Um, since we were talking about music, and I know we're going to get off of it now. We kind of already have before we do. Let's talk about our diva song for this show. What is your diva song for this show, Jackie? Um, you know what? I Even after watching the Broadway tour and I guess sort of reacquainting myself for this piece and finding a, an actual like vigor for The King and I, I still think it's getting to know you because as a kid, I just loved that song and it was so much fun and so... As an adult, it's one of the more simpler songs because you have some really, really like great voices in mm-hmm. this, and I do not have a great voice. So for <laughs> me, that's like my song because it's kind of like in my level of ability, which is not up to par with all of these amazing other singers. Uh, mine is Whistle a Happy Tune because that was a kid was what I would like to sing and it's funny because now that I'm thinking about it, because of Relating this back to the Sound of Music, they both have songs about being afraid and how to overcome those fears. Yes. <laughs> one is favorite things and one is whistling a happy tune. Governesses are scared. I don't know why. I don't know. But they are, apparently. Alexis, do you have a diva song from the show since you performed in it? Some- oh, uh, I think, well, it's not really a diva song because it's not like a, ooh, yeah, kind of song. It's more like it's my favorite song to sing in general um, from, the, from the play. It's... Um, Hello, Young Lovers, because that was my oh, audition yeah. piece. Yeah. Um, because at the time, uh, when I auditioned for this, I wasn't going to. I just, uh, we're, the lady who was doing the drama class also was doing choir, which makes sense, uh, was like, hey, I want everybody to find a solo that they want to sing to the class. And, of course, we were, in, we were in seventh grade, so some people sang, like, Old MacDonald or, like, Beyonce or something. <laughs> and I was the only musical nerd in choir at this point in time, which is weird also. So I picked, because I, I knew that they were doing King and I. I was like, well, I love this song, so I'm going to sing it. But they've never heard me sing solo, period. They've only heard me sing as a group. So when I got up there and I sang these high notes that she was singing, my teacher was like, um, are you auditioning for my play? Nice. And I was like, no. And so <laughs> I did that again in front of the, she already had her cast already because these are senior, well, seniors, but like eighth graders at this point. I was the only underclassman that was on the the cast and I was the lead. So, nice. yeah, so it was really fun. So that's, for me, that's like a lot of uh, memories for me is that song. But also just, I really love doing the, uh, the play itself just because I was like oh it's a play within a play how cool so uh, most of the songs from that was really really good so. that was fun to see too I will say the because I had totally forgotten that whole um, Uncle Tom's Cabin mm-hmm. play from the movie I I'm just we're obviously we're going to talk about the movie next week but I my brain had like erased that whole <laughs> section from memory and so when I saw it live I was like oh what beautiful costumes and these kids they're such great dancers and I remember my mom and I were both like wow those kids are really talented and 
I had just totally forgotten that, but it is like as a you have kids, you have child actors doing these roles and and um, doing these great dance numbers in that whole piece. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's funny because when we did it in junior high, which was not a very good transition, because people were kind of <laughs> like, "What's happening now? What are, what are we talking about?" <laughs> and then we're you know obviously after like, "Oh yeah, there was a play within a play. I totally forgot about that." So it was really funny watching parents like kind of come back to the second act and go, "Wait." what <laughs> am i watching the same play because <laughs> um the junior high and the high school were right next to each other and they were having the same not king and i but they were they were both doing plays the same night so i think some of them were like wait did i walk into the wrong classroom <laughs> right what just happened so it was really funny watching that but yeah a lot of people do forget that that's a thing so, yeah yeah i had totally that was that was like based off abraham lincoln wasn't it uh it Tom's was based, based on um it was an anti-slavery book but the i mean i guess it's Harriet Beecher Stowe was a very huge abolitionist at the time, and um, and she did like talk to Lincoln about that. But then the problem is like now that we know better and we're looking back, like Uncle Tom's Cabin had a lot of like very harmful stereotypes in it. Mm-hmm. So it's hard because it has this history that's tied in with abolition, and obviously abolition is a good thing. But then the characters in it, like you had like a mammy character. Uncle Tom character, you know, you have these stock characters that then got used over and over and over again to continue like suppression of um, African Americans' representations in um, cultural media, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of this like complex history that I guess at the time was was helpful for that movement, but looking back, it's like it did a lot of damage, damage culturally, well. yeah. Um, you mentioned costumes when you were talking about the Uncle Tom Cabin part, and I want to talk about the costume of the show because every uh, single amazing every single production of this show has one best costume. Um, it has except for to. If, if it was nominated for a Tony Award, except for I think 1985 wasn't nominated and 1977 wasn't nominated for any Tonys, but the other three I believe were all one best costume the costumes were amazing the sets were amazing and it's really exciting because you have this juxtaposition between the costumes of the people in siam versus the, the western the western big hoop skirt and they they make costumes. fun of it don't they in oh one yeah of the songs they yeah they uh, have that whole number uh where they dress the asian western women funny in, i think yeah because uh, they, they put them in the western yeah. dresses yeah. um and I, I think that actually happened in real life too in the book and they said that when they, um, or maybe it's in the music, I can't remember, but when the the one guy comes, the Tom, or not Tom, I can't remember his name. The British guy. The British guy. He comes and like they freak out and they pull their dresses up yeah, over their head, but they're out. not wearing they're the not wearing undergarments yeah. underneath. Yeah. But I mean, when you, when you do think about it, it's like the, the costumes for that the british costumes were so so british costumes british outfits at the time for women were so like huge, huge and yeah. cumbersome and i have um one we're gonna play another clip from the torque shall um uh, shall we dance which shows the vastness of these women's dresses i still don't understand how she danced in that dress i, I'm like, I would fall I just, over i would fall over it's too much so we're gonna go ahead and play that and show you that and you can kind of see the controversy of color even to the and his costume clothes. is really beautiful I just love though how it moves. Oh yeah, it's it's a visually stunning effect. But yeah, I would fall over. I would not be. I able would fall to over do. too. 
I just, I, it makes me think about how much training they have to do to be able to dance and move in these huge outfits. Well, dancing is already hard as uh, when you're doing ballroom dancing, it's already hard because as a woman, you're doing the steps backwards and then having to do a backwards in like a giant skirt. And then he has to worry about not stepping on the skirt, which is definitely well, yeah, what I yeah, would yeah. do if I was playing the guy role. I would be like, <laughs> sorry, I stepped on your skirt and ripped it down. So that's that's the funny thing about this scene. It's one of my favorite scenes because the fact that uh, <laughs> it is the one of the hardest ones, because at least on Broadway, you have so much stage to dance on. Oh, yeah. When you're in a small stage. When you're on middle school you have a little bit to work with and when when she falls over like her character is supposed to fall over onto the couch because she's so swept off her feet from all the dancing no when i fell it was because my corset (laughs) was breaking my ribs and i was like well that's but that's like why she falls onto that thing that's what those little couches were made for 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 women to faint faint on because they couldn't breathe in corsets so on the second night because it's middle school you're supposed to change sometimes they they change the roles over so that the understudy can get a chance to be on for the next night which is which is totally fine so i got to play tup tim that night so the lady who's my understudy she did that but he did step on her dress and she fell right off the stage oh my <laughs> god and her dress was completely like falling over but like the, that was the cool thing was um we couldn't do that scene where all the girls got to wear these these beautiful uh gowns because of the fact that we didn't have enough time and enough costuming but uh we were able to to do like a few of them but i know for my dress my corset was not as it wasn't very good because I was the most curvy person on on there so it was really hard for them to get all that together so I there were times where we would be practicing with the corset on and I would feel like I was going to pass out doing it but we did it every well, day well it's also hard too. in a musical because corsets you're traditionally supposed to breathe from your chest yep uh, but for singing you have to breathe from your diaphragm which is what it's constricting also I remember like uh, when I did Shakespeare and we would wear corsets when when you're acting, you're used to um, an amount of like freedom of movement in your body, and it's just like in a corset, you are literally restricted from like your waist up to where you're like robot moving. And so I remember having to adjust to that in scenes where I'm like, okay, sitting is awkward, standing is awkward. Well, my sister, she she does costume design, and she loves to make corsets. She loves them so much, and she always wanted to put me in corsets. Um, and I guess. I don't know if it's traditionally what you're supposed to do or not, but she told me that you're supposed to get them a size smaller to make your waist even tinier. I feel like that's incorrect. I don't know. know, You're supposed to not breathe and die. I mean, maybe she's like Elizabeth Swat and just pass out at every second. But I, I don't think that's correct. I mean, I don't know. She did that to me, and we went to like a club, and I was like, I can't breathe. Like, (laughs) and I couldn't. Like, sitting down was hard. Standing up was hard. Like, I hated every moment of it. So, cheers to those women that love. Yeah, cheers to you, Alexis, for actually dancing in a corset. (laughs) Dude, I, I I loved it. I just felt bad because I was like, okay, I have to talk and sing now. Here we go. (laughs) I mean, it makes your waist look amazing, but you just are so uncomfortable. Yeah, so I mean the the girl that that did that was Anna after me. She was like she was a stick. So she was like this is fine. We actually had to stuff stuff into her corset because she was like we can't tighten this. It's just going <laughs> to fall off. Oh my god. So, but like it didn't matter. It was just cool that we can we, we were able to actually do this cuz I remember I did it the last night um and 
we we went ha- not hard that's that's a really terrible term but like the fact that we he spun me a lot the the guy who played uh the king and so i was just dizzy but it was like those you know those last night jitters and everything mm-hmm. was just it was just kind of nice but i think this is my favorite scene choreo uh, choreography than in the, in the entire play it's just because it's just so beautiful but i actually was able to bring up i don't know if you guys were able to see this but if you guys ever get a chance on youtube uh you actually get to see the costume change into this dress oh yeah at the at the tony awards right yeah so like they have in the corner here they have her she singing sang two songs yeah yeah she's singing a song but obviously our lead she has to change into a dress and it's insane how quickly and you can see all the stuff that she has to change into it's awesome and there's the dress that we were just looking at so it takes like look how many people it takes to put this dress together. It's unbelievable. Four people, two people with flashlights in their mouths. The other ones are just waiting, <laughs> ready to go. Like it's just really cool how they were able to make this together. So if you guys still ever... the best change to me is Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah, change from the schoolgirl outfit to to the that blue dress. Yeah, yeah. No, it's my favorite. or the blue dress to the schoolgirl outfit. That's it. Was opposite. Yeah. The and set, though, you can see a piece of the set, too. Yeah. The set is simple, but it's so beautiful. I, I remember thinking that, too, when I watched it. I was like, this well, set, the set, the have, lights they like, great use of color. Yeah, mm-hmm. the colors are so just rich. They're rich colors. Yeah, and I, I've always, that's probably why this is one of my favorite plays that I did growing up and learning about and all that kind of stuff was just because it's just, it, it's so balanced as a play. And the fact that they decided instead of just having bland colors, let's just pop everywhere yeah. and i loved especially the the king's outfits like his those reds and purples that he has is just it, i know that those are supposed to be royal colors but they really add to that yeah, yeah the red you have like these reds and blues and purples Mixing and then a the dash gold. of gold yeah it's it's just like the costumes in this are just astounding um this i do want to talk about like that there are so many revivals we've talked about a little bit but four revivals of this play it's a very 1977, play. Yeah. 1985, 1996, 2015. So except for the 1960s and the 2000s, they had a revival for every century yeah. that there was. Um, and the current one, uh, 2015 one, is now touring, like we said. I do have a montage from that that we're going to play um, as I transition into the Tony Awards talking about it because this play is also with every revival almost except for the 97 one, I mean, not 97, 77 one. Uh, was nominated for Tony Awards. So, while we t- transition to that, this is the touring cast right now, just so if anyone, if it's coming to your town, you can kind of see more of it and hopefully go see it yourself. dancing number again. I could watch this all day. I know. 
You can tell when we're mesmerized when when we see the clips. When we're trying to like, I have to think of something to say now because this is so amazing that I've suddenly shut up. I think the one thing also is a lot of people take for granted is the introduction to the children too, and like how they all have different personalities and you yes. have to pay attention to all that. It's just so cool. Oh, I love the love scenes. They're so great. I know <laughs> they're really good. Those actors are so good, I and the kids. You know, I. I feel like there have definitely been musicals where I've seen kids and I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. you're the weak link. But in this one, the kids do such a good job. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like nowadays, too, a lot of a lot of more kid-friendly. Oh, kid yeah, friendly, you're seeing like, so many more kids like, on Broadway. Matilda, School of Rock. Like, there's so much like there's so much talent out there. So I'm really glad that we're getting a lot more of that now yeah. in a young age. It's great. Um, so I'm just going to kind of breeze through these Tony Award ones. I'm, I had videos, but we're not going to play them, actually, because we were running short on time. Um, but so to give you just a little view of it, the 1952, the original musical was nominated for best musical, best performance by leading actress, best performance by a featured actor. That's, that was Gertrude Lawrence, Annual Brenner, best scene design and best costume design and won every single award it was nominated for. In 85, it, 77, like I said, wasn't nominated. 85 was, uh, nominated for a special Tony Award, which it won. I don't know what that means, but it was a special Tony Award. Um, and then it was also nominated for Best Performance by a Featured Actress and Best Direction. Uh, 1996, we had the Best Revival of a Musical, which it won. Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical for Lou Diamond Phillips. Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical for Donna Murphy. Best Performance by a Featured Actress in a Musical for Joe He Choi. Um, Donna Murphy won. The other two did not. Best Direction of a Musical did not win, but it was nominated Best Scene Design won, Best Costume Design won, and Best Lighting Design did, was nominated. And this current one, Best Revival of Musical won, Best Performance by Leading Actor in a Musical for Ken Watanabe, Best Performance by Leading Actress in a Musical for Carol Hara, who won, Best Performance for a Featured Actress in a Musical for Ruthie Ann Miles, Best oh, Direction of a Musical, Best Scenic Design, Best Costume Design, which I said won, won in every time it was nominated, Best Lighting Design, and Best Choreography. So this play has been nominated for... So many Tony yeah. Awards. This is um, insane. Insane. Uh, and it's, it, it keeps coming back because I think it's a story that no matter how much time has passed, everyone can still relate to in some way or another. Not well, because of the ev- politics necessarily. Yeah, no, but- I think everybody can relate to... Um, I, I know that my mom and her mom related to it because um, they're both teachers who taught in different countries. And I, I do think that just as people, when we meet someone who's different from us, we have a choice. We have a choice to like automatically reject that difference and say, this is what I stand for, bye. Or we can try and reach out and find common ground. And this musical represents that moment where you reach, where you're reaching out to find the common ground. And, there, and then you can make a beautiful friendship out of that. And it also shows just the differences in different cultures, which still exist today. Maybe they're not as vast and different as they used to be, but we still have a lot of differences in different cultures. And I think it's important for when people go to different countries to kind of immerse themselves in those cultures and to learn about them because it's important to know. Right. And I think that that also shows in the play. Um, So that's it for our talk of The King and I. We're going to get into our theater news in just a second. Next week we'll be talking about the movie and we'll relate it to the musical and see what kind of differences were made and what maybe we liked better depending on... I have to rewatch it because I don't remember most of it. Yeah, I was we're gonna. So it's gonna be Brianna and I rewatching it from when we were kids. Yeah, so we'll see our take on it from children to adult. Um, 
I did want to go over some Broadway news today. The first one's more of an announcement than news. Uh, Broadway HD is offering through today. So today's the last day you can get this. Um, a 51 cent subscription a month to their website, which offers you to watch shows that they've taped from Broadway, which I think right now they have She Loves Me and um, I'm forgetting what the other one they have right now is, but they're taping more of these shows and they're putting them up there. So if you don't live in a touring area or if you don't have the money to go to these shows when they come through and on tours, then this is a great alternative or even if a show doesn't tour, like She Loves Me didn't tour didn't tour so this is a great alternative to be able to watch those and it's a great way to give uh, money to the theater community in, and it's not that expensive 51 cents a month like that's the cheapest i love this idea and you you and alexis are going to go see the taped newsies yeah on uh, th- on the 16th of february um and that check out in your towns and areas if you are interested in seeing newsies they they filmed it in la they filmed the original broadway cast and they um are putting it in certain theaters in certain cities um, so definitely look that up. Do you know the website, Alexis, where you bought those tickets, where they can maybe look for them? I think she stepped away. But okay. um, I, I mean, and I told you guys last week that I'm going to see Allegiance this month at some point. Sorry, guys, I stepped away. What was that again? Oh, I, was saying, I was saying, do they? Um, do you know the website where they can go to look for the Newsy tickets? That, oh, yes. Uh, FathomEvents.com. Uh, they are on February 16th, 18th, and 22nd, I believe. Is that in every city or is that just in uh, Los Angeles? I, I believe it's in every city because they said worldwide, okay. nationwide. So I would double check. I know Fandango uh, still has the tickets there, but it's better to go through Fathom Events because they know exactly what dates and they'll just find you a theater near you if you put in your zip code. Okay, so, yeah. great. So yeah, go there if you're interested in watching the Newsies um, in theaters, which is a really cool way to watch it because it's almost like as big as seeing it live. And then you get to see, I'm I'm assuming it's going to be one of those more front row experiences versus not paying $200 a to ticket sit to yeah. sit in and the, the front g- row. And the cool thing is they, they made a song just for this theater release. Um, the, uh, Crutchy doesn't have a solo, um, but now he does for nice. the movie itself. Okay, so, that's great. Yeah, so something, so I like it that they decided like, okay, we can technically show you the complete theater show but let's because you're buying it through this uh and you can't see the actual show let's add a little something special let's give crunchy oh, a solo cool. so yeah um next we have uh audrey mcdonald is going to be making her west end debut at lady emerson's bar and girl which she made an hbo film on like a mini short film uh and it was amazing if you didn't see the hbo uh one it, it was great she did a great job Audra McDonald is wonderful. I can't she's believe it. Just I was just more surprised at this news that she's never been on the West End. Yeah. Before. Um, but I guess she was going to do this earlier, but then she was pregnant and it had to right. give birth, so she couldn't. <laughs> but yeah, so she's going to be at the West End doing the Lady Emerson's Bar and Grill, which is an amazing show. So if you're in London or planning to go to London, definitely check that out. Um, some interesting thing. Producers of the Sunday in the Park with George, the limited 10-week engagement one that's coming have withdrawn the it from the awards consideration they are not allowing it to be considered for any awards at the tony awards this year that's interesting i wonder why that is if you know they said um they put a they said the producers of sign the park george will not be submitting the hudson theater engagement of this new york city center production for awards eligibility it's a, they said, with a season full of tremendous, soon-to-be-long-running new musicals and revivals, the producers feel this extremely limited special run of Sunday stands most appropriately outside of the awards competition. The production is nevertheless proud to be a part of such a landmark Broadway season. 
So they failed because it's so sh- it's a short engagement. It doesn't deserve it, I guess. That's weird. I don't know. I still find that weird. But that's okay. But yeah. So whatever you want, whatever you want. <laughs> but that show is going to be starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Annalie Ashford. Uh, it's going to run, like I said, for 10 weeks. It's performances begin at the Hudson Theater on February 11th. Um, opening night is February 23rd, and it will be closing on April 23rd. So if you're in New York and you want to check that out, let us know how it is. But we unfortunately will not be seeing it on the Tony Awards at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last bit of news we have, they have a new lead for the Fighting Neverland tour, who will be playing J.M. Barry, and that's Billy Harrigan Ty, starting on February 7th, 2017. Um, and he... Re- he the recent, most recently played Pippin on Broadway. And we're going to be discussing that at some point in March. I believe it's in March because it's coming through Los Angeles. Yes. And I'm hoping to be able to go see it. Um, I Jack already got Gaddy my tickets. tickets. And then we're discussing the movie next week. And I, um, I went to the Westchester Playhouse. They have Imaginary Invalid, which is a Moliere play going on right now, through... February 18th. It's a hilarious play if you guys want to check it out. A friend of mine is directing it, and I had a blast. Yeah, so go check that out if you're in the area. Um, and that's about all the time we have for today. We were cutting it real close. Yes, we got, we got King and I, and then Rent. Rent and then Rent. Is Rent's next. coming up after. So make sure Woo-woo. you tune in next week and the following weeks. Um, Jackie, where can they find you? One, last one two, three, Jackie B on all platforms. And you guys can find me at BFIPS14 on Twitter and Instagram, BFIPS1214 on Snapchat. Also, I will be here at 8 p.m. talking Crazy Ex Girlfriend finale on our sister network, AfterBuzz TV. Um, also, make sure to go subscribe to us on iTunes, um, YouTube, comment below. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want us to cover. Also, what your diva song is, and let us know anything that. Yeah, let us know what you want us to cover. Let us know what your favorite musicals are. Yeah. We'd love to hear. Or plays. And we Jackie like plays, will, we'll, too. Jackie will read all the comments and read them out if, uh, like, iTunes and stuff, if you, if you give a good comment and shout it out. Yeah. So, yeah, make sure you join us this. Um, we have Broadway Be Down on Twitter's our Twitter page, and we have a Facebook page as well. So if you'd like to follow us there, please go ahead and do so. And we will see you all next week. Have a good Sunday, and thank you again for joining us. And go watch the Super Bowl, I guess, now, if you want. <laughs> <laughs>